0: So we are in a, an extended series called Faith Foundations. And one of the things in our stream in the body of Christ is sometimes in the modern era, we discovered that there's prosperity in the kingdom of God Amen. and in the word of God and in the heart of God. And so when, we, when we're going to take a look... Not just at prosperity, because I know that that actually can be a lightning rod. Some of you already disconnected and walked out of the sanctuary when I said that word. Um, but I'm calling your spirits back in, back in. Because it shouldn't be a four-letter word. Really, the, the heart of prosperity is the great generosity of God. And so we're going to look at the foundation of the great generosity of God this morning. And I pray that you and I together would get a revelation of his generosity. He is a good father. he 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 is greatly generous. And voluntarily so. He longs to be generous. So our scripture reading from this morning, for this morning, if you have your Bibles with me, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation just because it reads a little easier, Um, but uh, I'm sure some of you probably have more more anointed versions like the Amplified um, or... New King James, that was a joke. I'm trying to lighten I'm trying to lighten the atmosphere. Okay. So I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the believers or to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about the churches in Macedonia. So the churches in Macedonia are Philippi and Thessalonica. He wrote separate letters to them. We're not going to read them today. But he's talking to the churches in Corinth about the churches in Macedonia and about the heart of God for generosity. So Paul, he says to the church at Corinth, he says, Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles Say, many troubles. many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in great generosity. Everyone say, great generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus who encouraged your giving, he's talking to the church at Corinth, your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers like Pastor Jeff Bauer, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that by His poverty He could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago or 12 years ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now, you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough." This is God's word in which I rejoice. So we're going to look at seven qualities of great generosity from this passage. Verses one and two, the first quality is that generosity is a sign of spiritual health, not material wealth. Generosity is a sign of spiritual health, not material wealth. The Macedonian churches were not in a season of plenty or material ease. They were, if you remember from the passage, they were experiencing great trouble. In fact, they were being persecuted, and the persecution was so great that it was affecting, they were losing jobs, they were losing their property. They were even losing their inheritance. Like there was a cultural war against the gospel and Christianity in Macedonia. It was a significantly pagan culture. And when you accepted Christ, oftentimes then you were profiled or you were um, made a pariah. You, You were resisted. You could lose your job. And this was happening. This was happening to the Macedonian believers, and does the world say well that's the perfect time to give right that's not that's not what a world a mindset of this world would say would say what it's not the time to give right and we don't we don't even get we don't paul doesn't tell us what the project in jerusalem was doesn't tell us whether it was a church or a school or um, some need that the priests have, or, or whether there was, uh, you know, famine or a natural disaster. It, it doesn't tell us what the project was, and I think it's probably, it's probably important that it didn't tell us what the project was, or we'd fixate on that particular project and say, well, this is a holy project, and others. Aren't. It was about the generosity that was shown. It said they gave themselves to the Lord. They overflowed with abundant joy and it produced this great generosity. And so Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. The Corinthian church was far wealthier than the Macedonian church in material possessions. And he is encouraging the Corinthian church by saying, hey, the churches in Macedonia, they were suffering great persecution and trouble, yet their joy overflowed into great generosity. They were more mature in generosity, and it had nothing to do with how much they had. It had to do with this that they gave themselves to the, to the Lord, and it overflowed in generosity, and everyone was getting blessed. And so we see that even though the world would say to the Macedonians, it's the worst time to give, in the kingdom, it's one of many perfect times to give. It's when their faith was on display, that our trust in God to provide, to satisfy, to multiply. You know what I'm to say? We have lived this out as a church. We. We have lived this out in our church history. When, after we, after we moved here in 2005, we had these two buildings and we had rights or the permits, the necessary to build that third building and do all the outdoor development that we're finally getting to now. Um, we had rights to do it all, but this is all we could, we could do to start. And a few years later, right, what happened in 2008 and nine? Whose homes were upside down? Mine was, right? I mean, I, I'm, it's not in any way to point fingers. It's just we were in the midst of this this financial fallout where everything was being shaken, and all manner of people had anxieties and fears, and they you know, I mean, it was it was it was mayhem um, economically, and and uh, so at that time we had to move forward because of the way our permitting process we had to move forward with getting sticks in the air, which meant grading that ground and pouring a big slab for a building we couldn't yet afford to build in the midst of an economic downturn. And we felt led, like it, it wasn't that we were just moving forward in this kind of, um, in this fairy tale world. We moved forward in faith. And at the same time, then the, our sister church in Kenya needed uh, the place where they were, they were meeting was no longer available. They needed a, a place. We, they uh, um, they had an opportunity of a building program of their own to finally get a roof over their church. I mean, this is a, a different thing. And we, um, even out of our, in that same situation, we sowed an enormous seed out of our building fund to our sister church in Kenya. And then Pastor James was called by God to plant a church in Mississippi at the same time. And we, we as a people, sowed a big seed to help plant that church. And at the time when the economy was going down the tubes, there was fear everywhere. We had a project, and then God showed us two other big amazing things that we didn't plan on, and through the generosity, the great generosity of God, through many of you in this room and many friends of our church and people that have been released to other ministries, through that great generosity, not only was it graded and the slab poured, but the church in Kenya was built and the church in Mississippi was planted and everyone's flourishing. It is not about the season of economy. It's about the season of obedience to God's leading. And so generosity is a sign of spiritual health, not material wealth. Second, generosity is voluntary, right? We heard Paul say, I am not commanding you to do this. I just want to make sure, even with this... The renovate campaign. I am not commanding or guilting anyone to do anything because to do so would not be generous. Generosity is not a commandment. If it were, it wouldn't be generosity. Generosity is voluntary, it's out of your free will. And that's truly how, I mean, if you look at the gospel, how do you know that we were loved? God didn't have to save us. He wanted to save us. It wasn't because some law or legality forced this. It was because He wanted to. It's generosity that He's inviting us into. Sometimes we get caught up on the difference between generosity and tithing. Generosity and tithing are not the same. Tithing illustrates one aspect of our relationship with God and generosity another. I'm not going to teach a message on tithing, so don't worry. I'm just using it as an illustration. Tithing predates the Mosaic Law It was in seed form in Genesis in the life of Abraham. It was outlined in the Mosaic Law. It was written about his wisdom in Proverbs. It was illuminated by the prophets in Malachi. It was affirmed by Jesus in the Gospels. Many cite Abraham's tithe to Melchizedek, the high priest, as the person who paid the first tithe, who kind of set it in motion. But I look even earlier. I look to the Garden of Eden. And it wasn't that Adam paid a tithe. But God gave him 90% of the garden, and he set aside the 10% that was right in plain view. He could access it, but it was right in plain view that was not to be touched, that was to be set aside. And we see that principle, and why? Because the tithe, or even the tithe allows us, it forces us, it, it, it keeps us clear on who owns it all. That's the purpose of the tithe, beyond all of the needs and the things that are met and the thing that, all the good that comes from it in terms of the seed and the blessings that follow and the blessings around the world. It's more than that. It sets us in a place where we observe constantly and continually. We recognize that everything is the Lord's. It's training for our heart and our character over time because my flesh always wants to take it back. My flesh wants everything it can get. And if we don't constantly set things and rhythms and disciplines in our life so that we know my body is not 90% His, my body is 100% His. My, My stuff and my things... And it's just the tide that sets that apart, so that we know, and we train ourselves to realize and recognize and grow in that relationship that it's all His. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've heard. So uh, someone asked me recently, "What the best financial decision I ever made was?" And I answered, um, uh, "I answered there was a time when I, I listened to my wife." Uh, <laughs> one time. No. And then the Holy Spirit later told me I was wrong. Oh, no. Michelle's not in here. Don't worry. Uh, no, I told him about a time when uh, it, it was... Uh, God had given me assi- an assignment to help my friend Russ build his vision for a tech company here in San Luis Obispo named Tech TechTecrity. And several months into it, we had we had spent almost all the cash. We didn't have very many clients. I was not having any fun. I was not having any fun. I was not having any fun. And an opportunity popped up where I could do something a lot more exciting, and it was going to double my salary like the next month. And that was a big deal because all we were eating was macaroni and top ramen. And, and it, it was... It was uh, I had already sold myself on it. I already talked myself into it. And I get home and guess what, Michelle, this, is, you know, this showed up and da da I'm like, I think this is I think this is an open door from the Lord, you know, I had all spiritualized it and I I mean, I had already wrapped it up on a bow and I was on my way out the door, right? And my wife said, "What about your assignment?" And I sat there and my ears got hot and I was like, Rrr. I knew she was right. And, I, and I, I could have overridden it, right? So this is a word to husbands. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has high heels. I get 10 points for that. So I did not take the job. I, 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 I stuck with it. God's blessing and favor and everything. It was and looking back on it, right? It was it was hard in the moment. And it's I you know I still the the magnification of how amazing um, or how critical that moment was continues to grow over time. Um, but the Lord said that actually wasn't the most important financial decision you made, and. He brought me back even earlier when we had no furniture in the house. Literally, we had two lawn chairs, like, like beach chairs. Like, I'm talking $4.99 at Walmart chairs. And we were eating macaroni and top ramen. Like, we'd sit on the ground in our little teeny apartment. Um, and we received a revelation about tithing. We could, we could barely make rent. We could barely put more than macaroni on the table. Our financial life was incredibly simple because there wasn't ever more than three digits in anything. (laughs) The tithe check was real small. But after we began to see the open doors and the blessing of God, like it doesn't matter how many zeros you add. Nobody could ever tempt me not to tithe. That doesn't make me generous. That just makes me obedient. Scripture says in Deuteronomy 8.18 that we have been given power to make wealth, to create things, to accumulate knowledge and skill, to enterprise for ourselves, to work the lands of abundance in the earth. He gave us this power, Scripture says, so he could confirm his covenant with us but you can also use your power to make wealth and never credit God. The Bible talks often about the wealth of the wicked and for us not to be jealous or envious of it. Don't be jealous of people that have a lot of stuff. You know, Satan does not mind people being wealthy as long as they credit their own brilliance and hard work for it. Because their wealth becomes a fortified tower of pride. And when you build that tower, you reserve the right to squander it. Somebody needed to hear that. Tithing is the seed. God's blessing is the tree. Generosity is the fruit. Tithing is the small seed. God's blessing becomes the tree. The generosity, our generosity, becomes the fruit. I don't know a single tither who isn't generous. And the most generous people I know are tithers. It's, I know people who, who, who are generous from all walks of life, and I'm not, I'm not shadowing any of their generosity. But the most generous people I know, not in terms of the number of dollars, but in terms of the type of sacrifice and the heart that they bring into it, the most generous people I know are tithers. And the Macedonians, not only took care of Paul and Titus and those in the ministry with their ties but were generous voluntarily beyond their borders even though the world would say there was no reason for it which brings in a third point is that generosity begins with humility before God verse 5 the charity of the Macedonians was blameless and selfless before God their charity had no selfish agenda attached Paul says, they gave themselves first to God and to those around. It's like Catherine. Can you stand and wave to us? Catherine has given herself to the people in Kenya, given herself to the Lord and to the people in Kenya. How many trips have you made? Three or four? Five, six tri- trips? She... And praying in between and interceding and writing and all these things. And so, you know, she's uh, and Pastor Mike are working on a, on a program to build a computer lab and a library for the school there to bless. And it's not about just writing checks. She has given herself to the Lord. And she's given herself to the people of Kenya, our sister church. Yeah. It's, it's not, you're not getting anything out of this, are you? No, okay, I just, I just, uh, <laughs> right, it's, it's not, you know, you see so many companies these days, right, there's all this writing on, you know, uh, good marketing or charitable marketing, it's like, you know, companies will sponsor uh, benefit events and they'll give to charities and all this good work, they'll use their marketing dollars on all this good work instead of advertising, and that's good. I mean, I, I am not taking away any of, and saying that that is bad. It's good. But they do it to raise the visibility of their brand and sell more stuff. And so I want to say that in God's economy, their reward is complete when they sell more stuff. But Scripture encourages us to become Proverbs 19, 17 givers by giving without any expectation of repayment to the needs around us. And in doing that, we lend to the Lord and He repays us. I would much rather be repaid by the Lord than more sales. Although I love more sales. I used to work in sales. There's nothing wrong with sales. But I'd much rather give. In God's economy, we lend to the Lord and He's the one that repays and multiplies. Matthew Henry says it this way. He says, The grace of God must be owned as the root and fountain of all the good that is in us or done by us at any time. And it is great grace and favor from God and bestowed on us if we are made useful to others and are forward to any good work. Fourth, generosity is contagious. You. Uh, that's why I mean I'm telling you it's the that's why um, so many nonprofits they advertise like right, the matching gifts. Yeah. It's because when you see other people giving generosity begets more generosity which begets more generosity, right? And Paul, it's not a tactic. Paul is listing, and he's honoring and commending what is praiseworthy about the Corinthian church he's saying hey you guys are full of faith you have great speakers that proclaim the gospel you have wisdom and knowledge you have enthusiasm passion and diligence for god you are exceed in your love for us and for one another these are great and wonderful things and he's saying in the midst of that generosity let it catch fire when you see the generosity of others inspiration comes and I want say, when you are generous, your contribution and your reward is not limited to your gift, but the inspiration you give to others. Number five, generosity is the gospel. And I alluded to this, generosity begets all of our theology about prosperity The generosity of God is all-encompassing, and it neither elevates nor excludes money. It neither elevates it nor excludes it. Jesus gave up his heavenly riches and became, Scripture says, became poor, so that by his poverty you might become abundantly supplied. Jesus was born in lowly circumstances, lived a materially simple life, and died having given up voluntarily all of his rights and possessions. This was for our sake, that we might be made rich, rich in the love and favor of God, rich in the blessings and promises of the new covenant, rich in the hopes of eternal life as heirs of God's kingdom. When God the Father, I see, when when Jesus, as the sinless son of man, he went and he paid the death penalty for sin at the cross, he, paid, he made that payment. And we talked about um, uh, s- several weeks ago in healing that he didn't have to suffer to make that payment, but he suffered that are bent to iniquity and that the effects of sin and the curse in our life would be broken today. Also, he gave up incalculable riches, cannot be contained by any universe, and he submitted himself voluntarily to be born in a barn to people of no reputation. He lived without amassing any fortune or 401k. I'm not saying that he had nothing. I'm just saying he didn't live to accumulate. He lived... A manna walk all the way through his entire life so that the curse that sin has wreaked in the earth and bringing and subjecting people to poverty could be broken. And it is us, the people of God, the carriers of God's blessing and generosity, we are to cover the earth with his generosity. You can't outgive God whose assets are limitless. Even in the gospel, for God so loved the world, he gave. God's generosity is our source of prosperity. See, the world's, this is why it's such a lightning rod. The world's definition of prosperity is financial power. Financial power begets all other kinds of power. Political power, social power, True prosperity is walking in God's ability and power to meet the needs of humanity, spirit, soul, body, financially and socially. Prosperity is not having so much money in the bank you can do whatever you want. Prosperity is having so much of God's word, so much of God's promises, God's presence, God's power and God's love in you that you can receive and walk in whatever you need and do whatever you have to do regardless of the circumstances. Right, You remember when William was here? William Juarez from El Salvador was here a couple of weeks ago. The people, you, you were so generous. On the Monday after, I was, we were able to, I was on, as an agent on all of your behalf, we were able to give him a check that, that represented almost a year of his salary. I mean, amazing generosity, right? So the scarcity mindset of this world says to me, tried to get on me, since you were very generous to William, there is less available to finish these renovate projects. Right, But the abundance mindset of the kingdom says, since you were very generous to William, there is actually more available to finish these projects and every good work that we've been called to because as we've been faithful over litter, little, litter, little, he will make us ruler over much. When, when we have sowed seed, the more we are faithful with, the more we are generous, the more we are trusted with. The extent of this promise is limitless. His riches, incalculable. He can move any side of the equation. He can can give you the money to buy a house. He can just transfer the house. He can make the price of the house go down. He can move on people's hearts. He can do anything. And He will confirm His covenant in your life and in my life and in the life of our church. The extent of this promise is limitless. Number six, generosity is faithfulness, not just a feeling. Ecclesiastes seven eight says, Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. So Michelle and I love to grow berries. <laughs> Alala berries, Logan berries, raspberries, and blackberries. I mean, I love berries. You know the kids' book, Jamberry, Jamberry, my favorite, that's one of my favorite kids' books. We love berries. Big faces full of berries. (laughs) Berry pies and berry jams and berry preserves. We love berries. Well, a couple of years ago, um, you know, in May, the berry vines all are just covered in flowers. And Michelle forgot to turn on the irrigation. No, actually. Jeff forgot to turn on the irrigation to the berry vines in May and it got hot early that year, what happened to the blossoms? No berries that year. Good purposes are good intentions, are good starting. They are good things. They are like the buds and the blossoms. They're pleasant to behold, and they give hope of good fruit. But they are lost and signify nothing without completion. I see so many believers give up before the harvest. You start, you give, you're obedient, you sow, you you you're walking through, you're walking through, and before the harvest, nah, give up. And you get disappointed at God, you shake your finger at God, that smile turns into a frown. You're sitting with crossed arms in church. I'm not pointing to anyone. I don't like it when teacher, when when my pastors talk about tithing. I don't like it when they talk about giving. Look, you know what? Doesn't take renovate off the table. Just be generous. Just be generous. Just be generous. Just be generous. It's for you, not just. It's not for me. It's for you. And the last, generosity is better together. It's not an individual sport. All that, the last verses 12 through 15, he's referring to the time uh, when the children of Israel were walking their path that God was blessing with manna and providing for them. And uh, the instruction was that every family should send one person out to collect for the family. So big families, they'd gathered a lot, Small families didn't gather as much, but everyone had enough. Amen. We all give with what God has given us according to what He has blessed us with. You can't compare blessings. It's like you might need healing from a cold and you might need to be healing from cancer. Well, if you both receive Healing, does the person with the cold say, I need to be healed 32 more times before I've received the same healing as the healing from cancer? God's healing is healing. His blessing is blessing. It's not, it's based on what you need. It's based on your it's based on your path. Your, it's, not based, it's not comparative in the way we compare things. His generosity, his assets, his promises, limitless. Infinity minus whatever is still infinity. It's not about comparative amounts. Another worldly mindset, it's like, and this trips a lot of people up. I give $10, you give $100, therefore you were more generous than me. And because of that mindset, the way that works is that I don't want to give my $10 because I don't think it makes a difference. Be free of that lie today for your sake. In Luke 21, Jesus it says, While Jesus was in the temple, he watched all the wealthy people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The truth, not up for debate. This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. That's generosity. That's honoring to the Lord. It's all His. Everything you have is His. We hold it with open arms, with open hands. But that's why we as a church, we don't make a habit of just celebrating big gifts. We celebrate the heart of generosity and God's faithfulness. As a people, a church, a body together, we are to be generous together and we will have an abundance for every good work. My encouragement is to give from what God has given you liberally, sacrificially, and cheerfully. It's not about an event. It's not about today. It's not about renovate. It's wherever God has connected you. We have been blessed to be a blessing. And one warning, this is not an invitation to give yourself into debt. Give only from what God has given you. If you don't change your lifestyle and you put your gift on your credit card, that's not generosity. We need to ask God to help us grow in faithfulness and generosity.